Good afternoon again. All right, there we go. There we go. <laughs> Amen. Well, it's a joy to, to be gathered here again to worship Jesus. If you have a Bible, uh, let me get you to go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25 uh, is where we're going to be. Uh, if you need a Bible, feel free to grab one of the Bibles here. That's on the connect table. You can use those. If you uh, yeah, don't own the Bible, you can take one of those as a gift from us to you. Uh, feel free to do that. And, and before I forget, uh, kiddos, so like so LJ and Dallas, if you guys would like to go to the back table in color, you are welcome to do that. Grab some snacks, uh, as long as that's okay with mommy for you, Dallas. If you would like to do that, you can grab some snacks and you can go to the back table in color if you would like to do that. All right, before we dig in to God's word, let me pray again. Father, we do thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that as we look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, about your church, God, that you would help us uh, to see the beauty of your church, uh, to, to see the beauty of, of gathering together and the importance of gathering together as your church. And I pray, Lord, that you would minister to us in every way that you see fit. May your word do the work in all of our hearts in every way that you deem best. We pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. 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 All right. So Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 24, reads as follows. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word. Amen. 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 So just a little bit of context about the book of Hebrews uh, is that the author is, is unknown uh, some have attributed to to Paul, the Apostle Paul, but but we don't know that for sure. So the author is is unknown, and uh, after even doing some studying, doing some reading, the the date by which it was written is actually also kind of unclear. But we do know the message. We do know that the message, uh, the 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 message, the theme of the book is that Jesus is better, Amen. that Jesus is better, that He is better, that He is greater. He's better than Moses, who uh, was the deliverer, right? But but Jesus is, in fact, the deliverer, right? Uh, he's, he's better than the priest, uh, the priest who would represent us before God. Uh, we, don't, we don't have any need for priests anymore uh, to go before God for us or stand in the gap for us. But we have Jesus who did that, right? Amen. Who is our high priest. Amen. Yeah. He is the one who could only stand in the gap for us, yeah. right? And represent us before God, right? And this is this is Jesus. He's better than the sacrificial systems of the old covenant of the old testament, right? He in fact is the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice that we needed uh, to pay the sin debt that we all deserve. This is Jesus. Uh, he is better and he is greater than all those things and all the ones that are mentioned. He was the one that all these things were pointing to. Yeah. So Moses, the sacrificial system, everybody was, was pointing to, to Christ. And this Christ has come. And because he has come and because he's better, that's why we are gathered here this afternoon. Come on, 
That's why we are gathered here this afternoon. That's why we've been singing his praises. That's right. That's why we've been praying to him. That's why we've been singing to him. That's why we've been reading his word and now listening to his word proclaimed, preached. Because Jesus is better. That's right. He is greater. This is who he is. This is why we come together every Sunday. This is why other churches who gather in the mornings or maybe even gather in the late evenings and gather at our times at 2.30, a gathering because of him, yeah. because he is greater, because he is good. So if I had to summarize uh, this passage, this is what we call the main idea. So the overarching kind of main idea of this passage, if I had to do that, it may go something like this. We are to stir one another to love and good works by gathering together and encouraging one another with Jesus's soon return. That's what we see in the text. That's exactly what the text says, right? That we are to stir one another to love and good works by coming together, by meeting together like we are now and encouraging one another that Jesus is soon to come back. He's soon to return. He's coming back to get his people, his children. So two points this afternoon, and they go as follows. Number one, point one. Don't neglect meeting together. Do not neglect meeting together. We'll see that in verses 24 through 25. And then number two, encourage one another to hope in Jesus' soon return. Encourage one another to have hope that Jesus is soon to Return. So let's look at the first one together. Number one, don't neglect meeting together. Let's look at that one. Look back with me at the text. What does it say? In verse 24, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Continue to read. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. So we are to stir one another up to love and good works. The idea here is that we are to encourage one another, right? That's essentially what it means, that we are to, to encourage one another, to, to stir one another up to love and good works, to, to spur one another on in our faith, in the way that we love one another. It's the sense of seeking to, to encourage. It's a, it's a sense of seeking to, yeah, Give someone an encouraging word from the word to, to, to let someone know that you're praying for them, to let someone know that you are, are standing in the gap for them, to let someone know that you are there for them and encourage them uh, with your love. Hebrews 13, 1, it says, let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly or sisterly love continue. Romans 12, 10, it says, love one another with the brotherly or sisterly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That we are to, to love one another. That we are to, to, to do that with a sense of affection. To have an affection for one another. To outdo one another with love. To outdo one another with, with honor. So a question. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Saints, this afternoon, do you love your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We're commanded to. 
we're called to. It's actually a way that we know that we are in the faith by the way we love one another. First John 2, 10 through 11, it says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You understand that that loving one another, having that pure, genuine love for one another shows, testifies that you and I are in the light. But when we are harboring hate towards a fellow brother or sister, it may show, may tell that maybe we are walking in darkness. That we may not be in the light. That's what it says. It says, whoever hates his brother, whoever has hate, is in the dark and walks in darkness. And they don't know where they're going. They can't see. They're blinded by the darkness, by their sin. So we are to stir one another to good works as well. So we not only are we to stir one another to, to love, but we are to stir one another to pursue good works. What this means is we are to be sensitive, to, to be sensitive, to be attentive to the needs of one another, to the needs of the body, right? We are to encourage one another, to help one another when we have a need. First John 3, 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need, yet closes his heart against him or her, how does God's love abide in him? You see that? So if we know that there's somebody in our congregation that is in need right now, something material-wise, something of physical need of, of some sort, and we might have that, we might be able to, to, to give that, to, to, to support a fellow member, and we say, you know what, no, 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 like we're gonna not do that. We close our heart, we close our heart against that. God is saying, how does God's love abide in a person like that? How does God's love abide in a person like that? Do you really love your fellow members? Do you really love the community? Do you really love people to the point that if you see someone in need, if they're hungry, if they need something, yeah, they need a ride somewhere or, or you need to yeah, buy some groceries for them or whatever the case may be, whatever that physical need is, and you might be able to do that, and yet you close your heart off against that person? How's God's love abiding in someone like that? This is what is being said, is that we are to stir one another up to love and good works. Paul in Titus chapter 3 he tells Titus and the saints there that they are to devote themselves to good works, that they are to do good works, right? Titus 3.8, it says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who believe in God may be careful to do what? Devote themselves to good works. To devote themselves. When you, when you think about devoting, it means you are you are. Yeah, you are putting some work in that. You are devoting yourself to that. That's something that you are seeking out to do, to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. 
Later on in the same chapter, Titus 3.14, it says, and, and let our people learn, again, to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Well, I like to say it when we, when we think about it now again. So, so we know that the gospel is the good news of Christ. Uh, that's the only message that can save someone. But then we have good works, right? So the good works are not the gospel, but they, they point to that gospel. They point to that good news, right? They, they support that good news, right? In the sense of, I like to say it this way. I like to say, it, I say, gospel people will do good works. That's what's, that's what's true. That was what was true of Jesus, Amen. right? Jesus came preaching the gospel. We also know that Jesus also fed the hungry, <laughs> right? He gave them what they spiritually needed and also what they physically needed. That is the pattern of Jesus. That is the pattern of what Christ did when he was here on earth. And that's also the pattern of the church or should be the pattern of the church. That's what we see all throughout the church. I mean, even we studied this at the top of the year, but Acts 2, 42 through 47, what do we see them doing? They're devoting themselves to the apostles teaching, to the word, to prayer, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, right? They're devoting themselves. These are the things by which the church are to be, to devote yourselves to the word, to prayer, to fellowship, uh, to the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, or, or even a meal together, right? Later on in the passage, you see that they are seeking to do good works with one another. They're seeking to help one another. They're, they're, they're sharing. <laughs> they're, they're giving things away. They're seeking out ways to, to bless their brother and sister in Christ. This is the pattern of the church that we are to be about the gospel. And that's what we are about. And that's primary. There's a primacy in that. That is of most importance. But also, that the gospel flows to good works. And the good works point back to that good news. Y'all with me? This is how we are to be as a people. Again, the Lord Jesus did this. The apostles, the churches. And again, Paul writing to Titus that the saints should be devoting themselves to good works. So now, now showing love and doing good works towards one another can happen outside the church. Can it? It, it, it can happen, and it does happen outside of the church. But it should definitely happen inside the church. It should definitely happen inside the church. When we gather together, this should be what marks us. This is something that we should see happening amongst the gathered saints. The author says, so the author of Hebrews says, consider doing these things, right? Look back down in the text with me. He says, he says, consider, right? And let us consider how to stir one another up. So, so consider, do these things. And then what does he say right after that? Not neglecting to meet together, which seems to imply that the stirring up to love and good works happens in the context of gathering. It happens in the context of us gathering together like we are this afternoon, that this is what's happening when we come together. Did you know, did you, saints, did you know 
that God is up to something when we gather? Do you know that? Do you know that when we come together like this, come on. this is not by happenstance. This is not to be taken lightly. That God is at work when we come together like this, that we, when we come and gather as a church, that he wants to move among us. Do you come expecting that? Do you come looking like, Lord, like I'm coming, I'm coming to gather with the people of God and I'm trusting you. I'm expecting you to do something in me, in us, when we come together. Your word is going to be proclaimed. Your word is going to be sung. Your word is going to be prayed. Do something. This is what God wants to do that when we come together, something supernatural, something powerful, something amazing happens when we come together. Amen, bro. In, in, in fact, this is what the church essentially is. Church is a gathering. It's a gathering of God's people. So the, the Greek word for meeting together here in this text, so the Bible is, is, is written, so the Old Testament written in Hebrew, Aramaic, or uh, in the New Testament uh, is written in Greek, right? So these were the languages, the original languages of the, the, the scriptures. So the, the Greek word for that phrase, meeting together, is the same word for church. So the same word we have for church, which is ecclesia. Everybody say ecclesia. Ecclesia. which means called out ones right so that where ecclesia means means to be called out that that god has has called out a particular people for himself right christians whom he has saved whom he has put his spirit in that you've been called out you you were once in the world but you've been called out of the world into his marvelous life right it also means a, a, a assembly so the word ecclesia means assembly or assembled together, gathered together. It's the same word, assembly, gathering, together. Those assembled together. So, so this has Old Testament ties. For example, in Deuteronomy 9.10, if you could just turn there with me or scroll there in your, in your Bibles. So Deuteronomy 9.10, we're going to look at a few passages. So Deuteronomy 9.10, it should be up on the screen as well, maybe. But you can turn there. So Deuteronomy 9, 10. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, And the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words that the Lord has spoken with you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of assembly. See that? On the day of assembly. This is the same word that we have here in the New Testament in thinking about gather, assembly. I mean, assembly. All right? Look at Joshua 8.35 to just... Either scroll there or turn a few pages there to Joshua 
If you dare say amen. 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 So Joshua 8.35, it says, There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before what? All the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. So you see that? So it's the same word. So assembly, as we see here in the Old Testament, has Old Testament ties to what we are looking at this afternoon in Hebrews chapter 10, the, the meeting together is the same word uh, in the Greek, right? In the New Testament, this is what we see that Jesus instituted right in Matthew 16, where there in Matthew 16, he asked the disciples, you know, who do people say that I am? And they started saying, like, some say Elijah, some say this, da, da, da. And then, then Jesus says, but, but who do you say that I am? Peter, what? Confesses that you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. What does Jesus reply back? He said, he says, yeah, like flesh and blood could not have revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And he goes on to say, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right. So it's Matthew 16, where he tells Peter these things. But then two chapters later. Two chapters later, what do we find? We, we, we find from Jesus how we are to deal with a brother and sister who sins against us, how we are to handle church discipline matters. So if you turn there to Matthew chapter 18 with me in verses 15 through 17, we'll see how the Lord gives us the framework of how we are to handle church discipline matters. Here we go. Matthew 18, starting at verse 15, it says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to who? Tell it to Peter, tell it to Peter's mom, tell it to who? No, the church, the church, right? Ecclesia, the, the, the ecclesia, the assembled gathering of the people, not just one individual, he kind of already went through that step, right? He already kind of gave you, like, go to them one-on-one. -on -one. doesn't listen to you then. Take a witness. Take a couple of witnesses. They don't. If he doesn't listen to the witnesses, then tell it to the whole church, the ecclesia, the gathering of God's people. And what does it say? It continues. It says, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That person beats you as basically what he's saying to a sinner. Let him be to you a sinner. This person is in unrepentant sin. They have not repented of their sin, at least as far as we can tell, on the basis of them not listening to the first brother or listening to the brother and the witnesses. Then it gets to the step of the church, right? All I'm trying to point out here is that these are the same words from Old Testament to New Testament. The words ecclesia means the assembling, 
the gathering of God's people. Y'all with me? Amen. So essentially, when we put this all together, we see that a church, here's what a church is. A church is a group of Christians, those who have repented of their sins and turned from their sins and turned to Christ, solely believing upon, upon what he has done alone for them. And they have been baptized as uh, to, 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 to affirm their profession of faith. And also then being uh, admitted into membership as a church to become a member of a local church. What does that local church do? They just come together every now and then. You know, they do some worship nights here and there. No, no, no. They, they come together. They gather regularly. That's the whole point. This is the whole point of Hebrews chapter 10, that we are to come together regularly. These Christians gather together to worship Jesus alone because he's the only one that's do our worship. Come together to worship him under the leadership of a pastor or pastors to hear his word preached. And under the leadership of deacons and deaconesses, as these are the only offices in the Bible, right? Pastors and deacons and deaconesses are the only official offices that we have in the scriptures surrounding the leadership of the church. And as they gather to worship Jesus under the leadership of the church, under his word, they are to then rightly practice the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do later in the service, to, to practice the Lord's Supper together and also baptism. These are called the biblical ordinances, right, or the sacraments. So I won't delve deep into the ordinances uh, this afternoon. That's actually the next sermon that's coming up as we're going to dive into the Lord's Supper and baptism together. But I will suffice to say this now, that Jesus instituted both of these, right? That Jesus is the one who instituted baptism and the Lord's Supper, right? That he, in the Gospels, he modeled for us what it meant to be baptized by himself being baptized. And then he also then commands us at the end of Matthew 28 to be baptized as Christians, and then he also institutes the Lord's Supper, right, uh, to partake of the bread and the cup to remember his perfect work in our place. And then he commands us to keep on practicing these things, he commands us to continue to practice these ordinances. And so we'll we'll dig into that more deeper uh, when we come together again surrounding that. But on the pastors and deacons or deaconesses note, we find the qualifications listed for pastors and deacons uh, in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. We even looked at that last week as we affirmed our dear brother uh, Brock as a pastor. But in 1 Peter 5, Peter there encourages the pastors to shepherd the flock, right? To shepherd the flock. Even if you look at 1 Peter or scroll there even now, just to, just to see this, what is being said as I get there. So first Peter five, <clears throat> here we go. It says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Verse two, shepherd the flock of God that is among you 
exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So you see, we have this here. So we have we have First Timothy 3 and Titus 1. These are the qualifications of a pastor and a deacon or deaconess, right? And then here in First Peter, we, we see Peter himself saying, yo, I'm a I'm a I'm a fellow elder. And I'm charging all the other fellow elders to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And that's what a pastor is. A pastor is essentially a shepherd <laughs> leading all the sheep and leading as well and being led by the other shepherd to the good shepherd. And that's what pastors are to be and do. And then in Hebrews 13, the author there tells the saints that the saints are to follow their pastors, that they are to, to follow the pastor's leadership. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So there's an accountability between pastors and people, right? That the pastors are to lead God's people. And let me let me give a caveat. The pastors, so I, I wouldn't say follow a pastor if a pastor is leading you to sin. No, you don't follow a pastor or any leader that will lead you to sin, right? You follow a pastor or a leader as far as they are leading you to Christ. As far as they are leading you to him. Amen? Amen. So just want to throw that little caveat in there. Paul said something similar in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. If you even turn there, you can look at it as well. So Acts 20, verse 28, it says, here we go. It says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So this is what pastors are to, to do and be. That one, we are to look out for ourselves. So me and Brock, are, we are to, to look out for ourselves and we are to look out for one another. So pay careful attention to ourselves. Make sure that we are walking with the Lord. Right. Making sure that we are in step by God's spirit, with God's spirit. And then to the flock. Making sure that those who are underneath our care, which is every member of Congress Heights Community Church. Right. Not members of any other church, but the members of Congress Heights Community Church. Those are the members that that God has made us overseers, made us pastors by his grace to care, to love, to shepherd. And think about this, like, look at this right here, like, to the point and being reminded of how precious every saint at Congress Heights Community Church is because Jesus has obtained you with his blood. He's obtained us with his blood. So there's accountability for pastors to people and people to pastors, that pastors are to lead God's people unto Christ and that people are to 
allow the congregation are to allow the pastors to, to do that as far as we are leading you to Christ. And to do that with grace and with care and that we are on the same team <laughs> seeking to help one another home. That's the goal. Mm. We're trying to help one another home. Come on, brother. That's it. Help me. I need to help too, brother. We're helping one another home. That's the relationship between pastor and people. Amen? Amen. Amen. So again, this is this is what we see as it relates to the leadership of the church. And this is what God has ordained for every Christian. For every Christian. For their growth, for their care, for their well-being. This is what God has done. This is what he's established, the church, right? To be a part of a church, to be led by pastors and deacons and deaconesses under the word, living under the word, letting the word guide, letting the spirit guide us, and seeking to rightly administer the biblical ordinances, to not neglect the gathering, to not neglect this. You see in the text that the author says, this is the habit of some. Don't be the some here. Don't be the some here. There were some in this time, in the writing of Hebrews, that were neglecting the gathering, that were not coming together regularly with the saints. Let that be a warning. Let that be a charge to us as saints to not neglect the gathering. You don't want to be the son. Why? Why don't you want to be the son? Why? Because there's an enemy. There's an enemy out here looking for sheep who are on the fringes. Looking for sheep. The Bible calls us as uh, people of God. We're sheep, right? There's an enemy looking for sheep who he can devour. It's 1 Peter 5 8, right? 1 Peter 5 8 says that there is an enemy. Let's just read it. Let me read it. It says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. There's a real enemy out here. It's Satan. He doesn't like you or me. He wants to sift us. He wants to kill us. He wants to take us out. So when we are on the fringes, we're not connected to community as God would have us to be or ordained us to be, deemed us to be. Guess what? We are setting ourselves up for an open attack, open field day for the enemy, open field day for all types of sin to wreak havoc in our lives, all types of things. There's something about this gathering when we come together, when we see one another, that serves as a way of encouraging one another, right? Amen. That serves as a way to give hope <laughs> to one another in hopeless times. Yeah. So let's not neglect the privilege of gathering. Let me just give a few applications before we move on to the last point. Just a few applications. Number one, gather as often as you can. This is essentially what we've been talking about. Gather as often as you can. You and I need this. We need this. 
you and I need one another. I need you. Amen. You need me. We need Amen. one another. Right. right? So prioritize it. Prioritize it. It's important. It's it's in the it's if not the most, it is the most it's, it's it's an important hour and a half, two hours and some change in your week to come together and worship Jesus. Surely he is good enough, he is worthy enough for two hours on, of your time together. He's worthy of more. But surely this time that's designated for us to come together. He's worthy of that. So let's prioritize it. Let's be here. Come on time. Let's 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 be here to gather. Let's be eager to come and stir one another up to love and good works. Let's be expecting that God will move among us. This is good for our souls. Amen. This is needed for our souls. We need it. Number two, encourage one another by your presence here during the week. Oh, sorry. Presence here now and during the week. So, so encourage one another by coming to this gathering, but then also during the week, right? That's what we've been seeing in the text, to encourage one another. So, so call, text one another. I know these things are already happening, but I'm just wanting to encourage it more and more. Call, text your fellow brother and sister. Serve them. Seek to check in on one another and encourage one another. This is one of many things that I really love about our church. There's many things that I love about our church. But this one right here, I really love it. I really believe our church loves one another. Amen, man. I really believe our church seeks out ways to love one another well. Loving me. <laughs> You've been loving us too, brother. And that really is encouraging. We're imperfect. We don't have it all together. None of us do. Like the church is imperfect, right? But we are seeking to love one another. That's a good thing. Amen. That's a great thing. Amen. So may we seek out ways to do that more and more. To love one another well. Number three. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you know yourself not to be a Christian. Jesus says that the way this church, this congregation, seeks to love one another, that you... That it will be a witness to you if you're here and you're not a Christian. That by the way we are seeking to love one another, that it will be contagious to you. Mm. That it will affect you. And that's the hope. Come on, bro. That's the hope. We hope that if you're here and you don't know the Lord, that you'll see the way we are seeking to love one another. That you will hear and see the way we are seeking to love one another. And that you would also be attracted to that love. In hopes that that love would then capture your heart. You would in turn serve to love one another as well. That's what Jesus said. And, and, and essentially what we're trying to do is we're trying to invite you into that. Amen. We want to invite you into that love. That that love that God has is available to you. You might say, well, how is that love available? Well, that love is available through God sending his son who demonstrated his love. Even while you were a sinner, while I was a sinner... He died for you and me. This is the love. This is the love that Christ has for you. That, that basically you have to agree with God and his word that you are a sinner. That you are a sinner, meaning that 
you have not lived a life that is pleasing to God. I haven't either. Welcome to the club. All of us have not lived a life that is pleasing to God. Because we haven't lived that life that's pleasing to God, we deserve his wrath, his judgment that we poured out on all who don't believe upon him, trust upon him for salvation. And that wrath would be death in hell, which means an eternal separation from God, never to have an opportunity to be with him, to love him, to trust him. But praise God, the story doesn't end there. Amen. The story continues that Jesus was sent by God. The son came, Jesus came and lived the perfect sinless life that you and I could never live. He died the death on the cross that you and I deserved because it was our sin that got Jesus nailed to the cross. He had no sin for which he had to die for. He went to the cross for you and me and he was crucified. Died in the worst way that anyone could ever die out of love for you and me. And he was buried in the grave and on the third day he was raised from the dead offering salvation to all who would turn from their sin. To, to, to turn, to buck a U-turn from their sin and turn to him by faith and trust, by belief, solely on what he has done alone. And the Bible says once you do that, you can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. You can be cleansed. The relationship between you and God that was once broken can now be restored. Thank you, Lord. That's what we want to offer you if you are here and you don't know him. I want you to get to know him by turning from your sin, trusting in him. May today be the day of salvation for you. Don't delay. The next moment is not promised for you. Trust him by faith. So that's number one. Number two. Number two is a lot shorter. <laughs> number two is a little shorter. Number two, encourage one another in the hope of Jesus' return. Encourage one another in the hope of Jesus' return. Look back with me at the text. It says, not neglecting to meet together <clears throat> as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So as we've already been discussing, we are to encourage one another. That is to be something that we are about. That is to be a rhythm of the people of God. That is to be a pattern of the people of God. Or in another way to say, that should be our lifestyle. That we serve to encourage one another. Not beat each other up, right? Not beat each other up with our words. Although sometimes that might can happen and, and we need to apologize to one another and repent from that, right? Those things can happen. But we are to serve to encourage one another, right? Again, just in thinking about encouraging one another, you, you, you never know what somebody's going through. You never know what somebody might be experiencing, right? You never know how they are feeling. You never know when you are on the other side of that call, calling that person who is just right now struggling with whatever, you never know how much that might mean to that person, right? That text, for them to receive that text of like, hey, I don't want nothing, but I'm just checking in on you. How are you doing? You never know, like that goes a, a long way. 
You never know how someone getting that, that text with scripture to encourage them throughout the day, how that might serve to, to bless them, how, how it might even serve to, to stop them from sinning, to stop them from, from about to pursue something that's going to wreck their lives on, by you reaching out, by you being attentive and sensitive to, hey, I'm looking out for my fellow brother and sister. I'm going to strive to encourage them right now. You never know what that impact might do. It goes a long way. And when we come together in public, like we are now this afternoon, when I see you all, when you see me, I hope, when we see one another, that it serves to be an encouragement to each other, to see one another face to face. And to say, and essentially what we're doing when we see each other, we're saying, yo, like I'm hoping in Jesus. You're hoping in Jesus. Let's hope in Jesus together. Let's hope in Jesus together. Oh, you had a rough week? Man, I'm going to point you to the hope. The only hope that can help you. I'm having a rough week. I had a tough time. I'm grieving. I'm, I'm suffering. I'm going. You pointing me to the hope that we have in Jesus. That's what we do Amen. every week when we gather and when we scatter. This is a good thing. So we should do that. We should do that all the more. And we are doing that. Praise God. May we do it all the more. But there's another encouragement that we see in the text, don't we? There's another encouragement that we see here that's given to us. What is that encouragement? Look back down at the text for me. At the end of verse 25, it says, First it says, but encouraging one another. So just in general, just encouraging one another. And what does it say after that? And all the more as you see the day drawing near. All the more as you see the day drawing near. The author of Hebrews says here that we are to encourage one another that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. That there is a day that's drawn near. That's drawn near this day. A day that is coming soon is what is being said. What is this day? This day, well, it's the day of the Lord. It's the day of the Lord. It's the day of the Lord. It's the day that Jesus will return. So Jesus did come. We're all proof of that. He did come and, and he did sacrifice his life and, and we've all been transformed by that. But he didn't just leave us here. He said he's coming back to get us. Isn't that good news? He's coming back to get us. So, so this is what we are to encourage one another with, that Jesus is returning soon. That he is returning soon. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians Five verse two. Or scroll there. So First Thessalonians chapter five, verse two says, "For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night." Jesus is coming soon. Paul here in 1 Thessalonians 5 said he's coming like a thief in the night. Think about a thief in the night trying to come through and 
snatch up some things and trying to get in and get out quickly. Swiftly, right? This is how the Bible says Jesus will come, that he will come quick. He will come swiftly. He will be coming soon. Will you be found ready? Will I be found ready for Jesus' return? Listen to Revelation 22, verse 20. So turn to the end of your Bibles, the, the very last page of the Bible, or scroll to the very last page of the Bible. Look what it says in verse 20 of Revelation 22. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. I am coming soon. These are the last words here on the pages of Scripture in our Bible in Revelation. Jesus is coming soon. But why is this important? Why is Jesus' return so important? Why does this matter? Well, it's because he promised a better home with him. He promised a better home that this place where we are right now, with all of the sin that's running rampant, with all of the sicknesses and diseases, with all of the, the murders, murderers and, and shootings and killings, drug abuse, addiction, fights, and you name it, with all of these different things going on, as this is our home right here now, he promised a better home, a better home, a better home with him. This will be a place Check this, y'all. This will be a place where sin, death, and Satan will not be welcomed. Mm. Our front door mat will say, sin, death, and Satan, you're not welcome here. Come on, you're not welcome here. Uh -huh. They will be no more. These things will be no more. Listen to the promise in Revelation again, but this time Revelation 21, verses 3 through 4. It says... And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Listen to verse 4. And let these words just comfort you this afternoon. Comfort me this afternoon. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Is that not hopeful, saints? Is that not something to look forward to? This future hope that is coming soon? That will be realized soon. The sin and sufferings we're experiencing now. The sicknesses and illnesses we're experiencing now. The hardships and hurts that we're experiencing now. All have an expiration date. The day of the Lord. They all will cease. They all will stop. All has an expiration date. Jesus' return. And you can have that hope now. You can experience that hope now and then. So the author of Hebrews says, 
this is what we are to encourage one another with. That we are to encourage one another with what? The hope of heaven. That when we come together like this, that we are to encourage one another to look upward. Don't look left. Don't look right. Don't look down. Look up. Look up. And keep your eyes up. There's hope. Yeah. It may seem hopeless now, but there is hope. Yeah. There's hope now and hope to look forward to. Thank you, Lord. That's what's promised to the Christian. That's at the end of your life, Christian. Hope. Yeah. Hope. Yeah. So stay hopeful. And so when we come together as Christians, this is what we are to be doing. This is what the author of Hebrews is saying. Encourage them all the more. To stay hopeful for the day of Jesus' return. He's coming back. He's coming back to get you, me. Amen. So just a few ways to apply all of this. A little bit more before we close. Two quick things. Number one, do you think about heaven? Do you think about heaven? Is your mind constantly occupied with life here that you don't even set your mind on the life to come? Are you so focused on life here? I got to do this. I got to get that done. I need to pursue this career. I need to pursue that career. I need to make sure my kids are done and I need to make sure my kids are this. I need to make sure this. I need need to be in this relationship. I need to do that. Are you so consumed with life here that you don't even give a thought to the life that's to come? Let me encourage you to think about heaven. Let me encourage you to do that. That is something that you should do, that you should read about. Spend some time reading the scriptures about heaven. Read a good Christian book on heaven. And consume your mind with the life that is to come, the hope that is to come. Number two. How often do you encourage your fellow members with the hope of heaven? How often do you do that? How often do you, do I, encourage the saints here at Congress Heights Community Church to hope in heaven? Or is your encouragement only consumed with finding hope in this life? Come on, brother. Do you you just encourage your fellow brother and sister to navigate these things in this life to 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 do all the different things to give them a 10-step process to to having a good life here and i'm not saying that all of that is bad in and of itself we should encourage one another on how to live here but not to the default not to the neglect of helping your fellow brother and sister Think about, hope in, look forward to heaven. Heaven. 
Let me encourage you to do that all the more. This is where we are heading. This is where history is heading. All roads are leading to heaven for the Christian. And if you're not a Christian, we want you to be on that same track. Trusting Christ so that you too can be on the road to heaven. So in conclusion, as the team can come back up, Saints, the, the Sunday gathering, the gathering, what we are doing now, what we do every week, is meant to encourage you. It's meant to encourage me. To I was at this uh, NAM uh, conference over these last few days. NAM is, is, stands for the North, North American Mission Board. For some of you who don't know, it's just a church planting network that is seeking to plant more churches and send missionaries all around the world. So I was at a conference uh, over these last three days about this. And this guy, you may know him, Brian Loritz is a pastor. He spoke there. Uh, and, and something that he said really stuck with me that I wanted to share with you guys is that when we think about coming to gatherings like that, like a conference like I was at, or when we come together as a congregation, it's really, it's really meant to serve as a, as a cold glass of ice water, right? To refresh you. This is what the Sunday gathering is meant to be. It's meant to be that cold glass of ice water, that, that Gatorade, the lime kind, right? The one that Jordan used to drink, right? <laughs> it's, meant to, it's meant to serve to refresh you, to replenish you. And I hope that you would latch on to that this afternoon. That our time together, our time when we come together every week, it's meant to encourage, it's meant to lift you up point you to Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you again for this time to worship you. Uh, we thank you for, uh, yeah, just, just looking at Hebrews and uh, how you have commanded us, called us as Christians to, to come together to worship you regularly. And when we do that, we serve to encourage one another to put our hope in you to keep our hope in heaven. So God, I pray that you would help us all to do that and do that all the more. And God, I just pray, as we've already been praying, Lord, for those of us who are suffering, those of us who are struggling this afternoon, those of us who are, are, are wondering, uh, yeah, what's next for us, looking for jobs or looking for healing wherever we find ourselves God help us to be reminded that if we don't experience it in this life that we will experience a greater a more promising assuring hope in heaven but we do ask Lord <clears throat> You say we have not because we ask not. And so we do want to ask, we do want to seek you to provide those things that we might need. Give us what we need more and more so that our souls can continue on, so that we can continue on in the race that is before us, replenish us, refresh us, keep us, we pray. 
keep our eyes on heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.